0: This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by the new year and every one of you. Thank you so much to everyone who listens. Thanks so much for making this a wonderful year for Blue Shirts Breakaway. Thank you so much to our Patreon subscribers to making it possible to do so many cool things like our meetup, make these awesome Christmas sweaters, and and so many more things. Happy New Year, everyone. Here's a new episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway, the first one of 2019. Hey, Bushwick Breakout welcome to another week of the Bushwick Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I am here in the new year with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, say hello. Mm. Technically Two- the new
1: year. 2019,
0: we are recording uh, in 2018, but really, who's counting? Who is counting? No one cares. This no is one. being released literally at midnight in 1201, 2019. First Rangers podcast out in 2019, by the way. Just
1: throwing How it out How about there.
0: that? I know. There could only be one. Great job by us. Recorded this what a day.
1: Really early. What a day.
0: There's a lot to go over. We have a great interview later. Um, Of course, I'm <laughs> just remembering his name. It's Ryan Stipson. That's correct. I have it in my head. Uh, where he comes on and talks about the Buffalo Sabres, and we also go into a little bit of analytics. It's one of our better interviews. Would you agree with me, Gregory?
1: I would. We should also mention Ryan has a book coming out, which is a big reason why we had him on the podcast. And it's
0: How I Lost My Dad. Oh, no. I mean, uh, that's Ryan. Yes, Ryan is having a book coming out. We talk about it on the show. Anyway. Uh, let's get into Ranger talk before we, we get to Ryan, and a lot going on this week. First things first, Leas Anderson was set down to the AHL. You and I discussed this on the podcast multiple weeks in a row that Leas wasn't really getting the time he needed on the fourth line. It was probably better for him to go down to the AHL at this point, and I think we made the right decision, despite uh me not feeling too great about the, the Leas pick. You know, it's, it's time for him to go down there and develop. I'd rather him play than not play.
1: Yeah, it, it. I don't think him getting demoted is in any way an indictment on his stature as a prospect. I don't think it's changed. There have been plenty of prospects in all sports that have struggled in their first real cup of tea in the major leagues, be it hockey, basketball, football. One of those prospects uh,
0: being Alex Rodriguez, by the way, sent up and down multiple times in his first year.
1: I don't know if you know this, but Patrick Mahomes set the first 15 games of his career. I heard. I heard he's terrible. Is that true? He's, some, he's the worst. Some guy he told is. me
0: he's terrible, and yeah, I uh, he's,
1: he's bad. Right, he's bad. All right. Just, just for a second, imagine <laughs> the Chicago Bears with either Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you mean the Super Bowl champions, Chicago Bears?
0: They, would they lose a game? Uh, I think they would win the Super Bowl. I, I be. There's not a, like a power team this year, outside of like the Saints when they're really rolling. I'm not sure. I'm a big fan of the Rams.
1: Any anyway, Leah Sanderson. All right, yeah, Leah uh, Sanderson. Yeah, let, NFL let, podcast. It's, it's a new new it's a new year. Let's focus as much as we can. We'll keep our tangents down to a minimal until baseball season starts, and then you guys are fucked Yeah, you're screwed. Um Leah Sanderson, I it wasn't working, which begs the question, why'd it take so long to send him back down? I'm not I'm not gonna get angry that the rain that a year of his entry-level contract has been burnt. That stuff it, it doesn't bother me because I don't think it's I, I get that in some way you need to have a at least the outline of a plan with how you're going to attack the 2021 expansion draft, right? You can't just say yeah, absolutely. it doesn't matter. It's two years plus away. We can't be thinking about it at this time. I, I get that, but it, I don't think it's necessarily something you need to get that worried about right now in terms of Leah Sanderson now has to be protected during that draft. First of all, it's more than two years away. It is three off seasons away. In the next three off-seasons, we should have a better understanding as to what kind of player Leas Anderson is. Is he even a player worth protecting? It, I'm not. He's not going to be fully developed in the next three years, but we'll have a much clearer picture. And if you look at the Rangers roster now, of everyone on the roster, who can we definitively say, bar none, will be a New York Ranger in the off-season of 2021? Philip Hedl? Pretty safe to say he will be. I think Brady Shea is under contract. I don't think you can uh, say that
0: about him. I don't think he's it's a bar none situation with Brady Shea.
1: Right, but I'm saying at least he's under contract. Right, mm-hmm. I, uh, Mika Zibanejad under contract. Uh, Brett Howden will be under contract, Cra- but Kravstov will be the, uh, the last one there, I believe. And but Kravstov, I think, uh, will be exempt because obviously he cannot. Like, he can't garner playing. I mean, he shouldn't garner playing time this year. I guess there is a possibility he might.
0: He'll probably get nine games. Uh,
1: Yeah, but... So, Kravstov should, by all accounts, still be under entry-level deals. So, he should be exempt. So, guys that shouldn't be under entry-level deals that won't be exempt... The Rangers right now don't have 10 of them. We don't know what the Ranger roster is going to look like in three off-seasons. So... I will not be upset that Leas Anderson had a year of control under his entry level burnt because the Rangers wanted to give him more than a nine-game look this season. That's fine.
0: Well, on top the of thing- that, Greg, just to like, make a point about Leas, like, what if Leas came up here and he started playing really well and he started meshing and like, and then you kept him down at the HL the whole year not knowing if he could hang at the NHL level? Like, He, he would have just been maybe, maybe cooking down there, doing his thing on the first line, and you wouldn't know what you had on the NHL level. So it's a risk and a reward you take by picking a player like Elias Anderson and bringing him up to the NHL level
1: caliber. The only thing I will say to that is it 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 didn't feel like Leah definitely struggled when he played, right? I I, I don't think anyone no, yeah. can stand here and look you in the eyes and say Elias Anderson was actually good. But at the same time, outside of when the Rangers were really snake bitten by injuries for that 5 game stretch a couple weeks ago, did Elias Anderson really get a shot? Did we really give Elias Anderson a firm look in no. the top nine. No, definitely was Leas, was Leas Anderson given any kind of a leash to succeed?
0: Not really. I mean, he was kind of on the fourth line most of the time, wasn't he?
1: There was like yeah, some games he, did he was it, on the
0: third line, but really not getting the true playing time he probably deserves. He was hamstrung. And
1: that's, that's how David Quinn wanted to play it, which that's how David Quinn has played it with just about every rookie not named Brett Howden. He's hamstrung them to begin their Ranger career. I mean, how many podcasts did we spend talking about Four. how – Philip Heedle dispen- deserved to have top six minutes before he was actually given top six minutes.
0: About four or five, I think, weeks in a row. We kind of yeah. So that's a solid
1: that's a solid month yep. that we were talking about Philip Heedle, who the numbers actually said was playing well above his spot in the lineup, and for whatever reason, David Quinn didn't want to move him up. So Leah Anderson wasn't playing at Philip Heedle's level on the fourth line. Therefore, Leas Anderson didn't really get a look outside of the fourth line, and that's fine. But if the, you're, I, the, my only problem with the Leus Anderson call-up was if you were never really going to give him a look, then why call him up? That's, the, that, that's really my only problem with it. I, I don't mind that he was called up. I don't mind that they played him for more than nine games. The only thing that bothers me is he wasn't given a chance. It's like, it's like in baseball, calling up your best starting pitching prospect and then only having him pitch in mop-up duty out of the bullpen. Yeah, it that, just didn't that, make any sense to me. That happens every year, literally every year. No, but even starting pitcher prospects, if, if a team is so worried about innings, they usually give them a high-leverage relieving role. I'm saying imagine you oh, call – Oh, you saying
0: mop-up. Got it. Yeah,
1: call, calling up your best pitching prospect and only pitching him in games where you're either down five. up by 10 or down by 10. Yeah,
0: Yeah. okay. I, I was uh, in my head high-leverage le- high reliever role there. My bad. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm not talking like when the Rays called up David Price and they would give him a setup role in their World Series year. I'm, I'm saying imagine when the Rays called up David Price – he only pitched in blowouts. Yeah, that's kind of what we did with Leas, right? We kind of just didn't put him in. this situation. He didn't, give, he didn't give a shot. We didn't give him a shot. And I, again, I know Leas Anderson has become a hot-button issue, which is silly. It's it's just dumb, guys. He's a 20-year-old kid. This time last year, he was playing in the World Juniors, looking great in the World Juniors, and helped Sweden finish second. So I to say so much has changed in a year where Leas Anderson is now a bust is just fucking ridiculous. I think we that's,
0: also have to look back to your point that – we wouldn't have got Hedl if we didn't take Anderson. Just – they probably just, don't I, happen without the one or the other.
1: Right. I, I mean it that is all un, – until we get someone from management to come on this podcast and say so we think Leas had a super high floor which allowed us to take a huge swing on a kid at 21 that most draft experts did not have in the first round. You know what's pretty funny about draft. that
0: though? Uh, I was listening to an interview with Leas. I think he did like the player form or whatever. And he Mm. said that the Detroit Red Wings had told him that if the Rangers didn't take him, he was getting taken by the Detroit Red Wings, like, a couple picks later. Which I think is like, oh, hmm. That's the other thing. Like,
1: Leas Leas Anderson was a unanimous top ten. Like, it wasn't a shock that Leas Anderson got taken in the top ten.
0: It was a shock for us because, I, you know, not that we're prospect nerds at all. But a couple people we knew that were were a little surprised that told us that. So it was, like, on the fence about the situation. But – Elias was going to be taken two or three picks later if, if we didn't take him. So he, he's unanimous talent. Everyone knows he's a talented kid. He's obviously got a yeah, lot of heart and, and grit, which we look and, for. And, we're Chris. still
1: talking We're still talking about a fucking 20-year-old. A 20-year-old that has produced at every level he's played at. He was really good for the Wolfpack before the Rangers called him up. He was really good in Sweden last year. He was dynamic for Sweden in the World Juniors last year. It's not like this kid has struggled everywhere he went. We're, we're going to talk later on this podcast, again, with Ryan Stimson, and we have a conversation about Casey Middlestad who has indeed struggled at various levels of his development. So there are a lot more red flags with Casey Middlestad than there are with Leas Anderson. I just, he's 20. I, I don't understand why everyone is rushing to declare Leas Anderson a good or bad pick. It, it doesn't make any sense. And you cannot use this cup of tea he got with the New York Rangers no. that he was just demoted for as any kind of barometer. Because again, David Quinn and the coaching staff did not give him a chance to succeed. Well, let's actually talk about he played a super limited
0: role. Let's talk about Quinn because we went into this year thinking like, okay, the only thing this team needs to do is play the kids, right? Like just play the kids at a high level situation and let's develop through there. That's really it. Seemed seemed that it did seem that way. That has not really been the case. I think watching the Rangers this year, Um, you tweeted earlier or someone tweeted earlier that Heedle will be out of the game. Uh, today, when you're listening to this, or two days, or yesterday, sorry. I it, know, sure, it sure here.
1: does sound like Hedl. Uh, uh, I believe it was Colin Stevenson saying Heedle's going to be the scratch.
0: Yeah, which is uh, the Quinn Bin technology, which is Quinn Binning somebody to get them to be motivated again, is a very interesting strategy to me. I, I, we've talked about this millions and millions of times. I don't want to go through it again. But Heedle is a person I want to see out there every single night. I think he's the one person I would say you cannot Quinn Bin. And to have him do that is really kind of a head scratcher. Where I'm like, David, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Well, buddy? here's,
1: I have, I have, I have thoughts about this, and I've, I've actually, when I wasn't watching football all day, hoping to God that I was going to win a little money. And we'll know by the time this podcast drops if I actually won money. Mm-hmm. Feel free to ask me. I'll either, I'll have a f- hard opinion about it one way or another. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you will. I've, I've, I've thought about because we've talked about this before as well, right? Mm-hmm. Why I, I've, I've asked you this question. Why in hockey is it? that we care about people playing a full eight game. Exactly, games, and we TV. shouldn't. We it. shouldn't, right? At the same time, while I think that, then people say he's hitting the w- rookie wall. He's looked a little sluggish the last couple of games. I'm not sure about that. It, it, he hasn't looked all that different to me. Uh, but there's one thing I do know, and it's that Brett Howden has collided head-on with the rookie wall. And for some reason... It feels like – and this has been the case all season. I don't know what it is, but it feels like Brett Howden has been playing by different rules than Philip Heedle. And seems I'm curious as – I'm curious your opinion on why, if you – first of all, agree. And then second, if you do agree, why you think that
0: is. First of all, I do agree. Um, one of the reasons I think that is is because Quinn has – and this is going to sound strange – possibly higher expectations for Heedle. Whereas he could stick Brett Howden on the fourth line and not feel bad about it. Or if he did it with Heedle, I guess he would feel a little bad. Or he expects him to be like the star player where he expects Howden to kind of be this role player. I mean, against the Flyers last week, as we talked on the podcast, Brett Howden missed like an open empty net or like just missed it. And to me, that's like a benching. So just personally, I was like, we've seen some people get Quinn binned for a lot of reasons. If you miss an open net with a wide open puck and you're a rookie and you're trying to learn lessons, you're getting binned. But... Fred Howden was uh, marched out there day in day out again, and he's just been put out there. I guess in in practice, uh, he's kind of the coach's kid and just does what he's told. It's kind of a yes per fast light. Is that a, a
1: weird reasoning? I, I I don't think it's weird. I and I, I I understand what you're saying, right? The Rangers are treating Filipito differently because they see Filipito as a foundational talent. They right? see him as like so, the top
0: three guy going forward,
1: right? So your expectations for Philip are higher, which means Philip has to do more to prove it. Um, but Howden got off to a hot start. No one's here to deny that. He's nope. been a great story all season. I'm fucking thrilled that the Rangers have yet another 20-year-old center prospect who seems to be able to swim in the NHL as a rookie. It's fantastic. It it is great for business. This is this is in no way supposed to come off as a what the fuck Brett Howden sucks kind of rant. In that, no in no way. We both like none, him. No no no. But at the same time, Howden hasn't been perfect this season and yet not only has he seemingly always had a top nine role since about the second week of the season, he's gotten power play time. He's even, I think, gotten some penalty kill time. Absolutely, It it seems like Brett Howden's leash is just miles longer than Philip Hedl's. And again, I'm happy that both of them are developing. So whatever whatever seems to be happening with Quinn and Howden and Hedl, at least it's working. It is just really odd to me that Heedle is getting the game off before Howden because I feel like Howden's game has changed a bit. The league is figuring him out a little. And for, to his credit, he is playing through it. And he is still not a detriment to the New York Rangers. He's, he's playing well. I just – it is odd to me that Heedle is taking a seat before Brett Howden would. And I am curious to ever find out what the reasoning is there. I It just feels I, like it, punish, punish the kid, like – you have two it children, right? And, right, but th- th- it doesn't feel like punishment. It, it. I think the Rangers are legit saying, Ketel looks a little overwhelmed. I, this is an opinion I don't necessarily agree with. But okay. if I'm Quinn, I could be saying, Ketel looks a little overwhelmed. Let's give him a gay to catch, game to catch his legs. I don't want to ruin the kid as a rookie. And that that's a fine mentality to have. I'm here for it. I don't need Philip Hedo to play all 82 games for the New York Rangers this season. But I need Filipino and Brett Howden to be playing by the same rules. For me, it feels like you're you're these two parents that you know, and one of their
0: kids is like the A plus student who gets the sixteen hundred on the SAT and the other kid's kinda like that average kid who gets the B's and like goes to art classes and such. And then when the, the B plus student doesn't really get any grades, nothing happens, but when the A plus student doesn't get A's, they just ground them. That's just what happens.
1: Right. And you know, we've that, talked we've, – we've actually made it, – we make that analogy a lot too, right? Because we said, we like, that? we're expecting Shoot. Mark Stahl to be a D-minus this year, so we're really happy that he's a C+. I'm really happy
0: with Mark Stahl. By, by whereas, the way, the Mark whereas, Stahl
1: goal. Whew. Mark Stahl's been good this year. What the fuck? Like that, it's crazy <laughs> to say, but Mark Stahl – earlier this season, we were saying Mark Stahl's the one-ranger defenseman that you should be looking for excuses to find nights out. I don't know how – this is something I've never expected to say on this podcast. I don't know how you can take Mark Stahl out of the New York Rangers line.
0: Kind of with you. Uh, the the rush with Mark Stahl in the back and the goal he shot was like, excuse me? Did
1: I just say would I would still very much like Mark Stahl not to be playing with Neil Pionk. Yeah, but at is. the same time, you guys have heard that rant before. You yeah, not guys, doing it. Every, every game we watch, we're given a new reason why that rant is relevant. You just don't need me to go on that rant anymore. Not doing um, it.
0: But yeah, I, but I'm yeah. glad that we have these different expectations for players. Like, it just... We agree that that's what's happening with the coaching staff. They have these different expectations. When they're not being met, they treat the players differently.
1: My, my, I again, I'm not necessarily angry that Philip is going to sit a game, and it, it it always will look bad that Cody McLeod will re- remain in the lineup while Heedle sits a game. That I don't think is the purpose. Like Heedle is sitting for a reason, and David Quinn is conv- convinced that his reason is just. So it's not that he's trying to get. Cody McLeod in the lineup over Philip It's just that Cody McLeod is his vehicle to send a message to Philip So I, I get that. I can I can separate that. I just I don't quite agree with the analysis of the coaching staff that Philip is hitting the rookie wall. At least I would say he's not hitting it as hard as Brett Howden. Howden is the guy we should be looking to give a break before Philip With you, and I want Hedel playing every game, as we said. Uh, I, but there's a the reason why you want Heedle playing every game because we watch him play and he's dynamic.
0: Yeah, the guy's a monster on the puck. He's also an excellent skater. He's hard to take off. He's speed. His forecheck is really good, uh, for, he's for, for, good for his even, age. By the way, and him Hito are the same age. By the way, they're the same fucking age. It's,
1: insane. it's nuts. Even when Heedle doesn't appear on the score sheet with a point in his column, he, he is. You can see him making a difference on the ice. And this is again where we talk about advanced stats in the eye test you don't need a chart to see how well Filipino has played this year it's noticeable he stands out when he's on the ice so it it is confusing to me that it the rangers coaching staff thinks he needs a break i'm I fine that they think that way i just wish they felt that way with everyone and that's the thing that i have the most trouble coming to grips with with david quinn
0: next week i'd like to get into uh the Chris Kreider and Mika Zabinajad sort of trade conversation, but I think we I I
1: it. kinda want to do it tonight. I think it needs to be had I think we need to have it tonight. I got time. Let's do it. All right so. I just Right. Do, uh, I'll let you, you you go first.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Uh I at the beginning of this year I think said on this podcast that I would be okay trading Chris Kreider and Mika Zabinajad. And now I'm at the point where I don't think the return you would get on either player would be appropriate no matter what it was. Almost. Uh, unless you're getting like, you know, a Godfather package, which you'll never get. Those packages do not exist in the NHL. Uh, you would not get one. Teams are not going to pay them. Like, you wouldn't get the top four prospects from some team for Chris Kreider right now and a first round pick. And that's what I'd want if that was something that was going to be played. Chris Kreider's playing maybe the best hockey of his career alongside Kevin Hayes, which we will not talk about in this podcast any further. And Mika Zibanejad, boy, that trade, uh, for Derek Broussard is looking more and more like a robbery every single day because Mika Zabinajad who may be healthy and fully now is just an absolute force and could be a core piece for this team going forward. Uh, I was on record saying, Hey, I'm look- I'm here for the full breakdown, but I was also on record on the summer saying, I don't think this team is so bad. And I think this team has a lot of talent. And I've kind of finally come to like a meeting point of those two takes, which is I'm ready to build a core around Chris Kreider, Mika Zabinijad, and possibly another player uh, that I won't talk about going forward with the chance of getting a superstar such as, Uh, Panarin, or maybe even a defenseman from the Sharks, who knows, I don't think so but who knows, Uh, where I'm not ready to trade them because I don't think there's going to be any price you can get you can pay the Rangers that would be actually worth it in the long run for the team,
1: there you go So I think the Mika Zibanejad part of this conversation is super easy I don't think you can trade Mika without first coming to a contract agreement with Kevin Hayes, because there's no scenario where you can lose both right, we agree there there is zero scenario where long-term, the New York Rangers could possibly be a better hockey team without both Mika Zibanejad and Kevin Hayes long-term. That's correct, because that, centers are the hardest thing to come by in the NHL. We agree with that? We agree. And even with the Rangers having Brett Howden, Philip Hedl, Leah Anderson, and Vitali Kravstov playing center in World Juniors, and he's been getting looks at center in the KHL, so it's not to rule him totally out of that conversation as well. At the same time, it is unfair to those four to expect them to produce like Hayes and Zabinajad are producing right now. Nope. Yeah, they're they're doing it at the highest level against the best competition.
0: We have four legitimate players right now that I think are are core players that could be for this team for the next five six years. That's Chris Kreider, Zabinajad, Kevin Hayes, and Brady Shea.
1: Would am I missing anyone there? Obviously, I would put I was, on that conversation. I'm talking. I
0: was I was missing the kids. I meant more like the veterans.
1: But I, I I'm at a point with Filipito where I'm convinced that guy is going to be. Very good for a very long time. I'm
0: with you. Uh, I, I'd be hard-pressed to say you wouldn't be. Just all the talents
1: are there. You can see it. So we agree that we're not trading Zibinijad without a long-term extension for Kevin Hayes. Yes,
0: and, uh, and the only way I'd trade Zibinijad is that godfather offer. We're talking like three first-round picks, like prospects, right. and it's got to be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> right, <laughs> like but the
1: second funny. the second part of this conversation is we agree there's zero uh, there's zero chance Kevin Hayes is going to take less money than Mika Zibinijad. There's no way. Why on earth would he do that? What does Mika make? Why? 4.5? Uh, I think Mika's over five. Is it 5.3? I think maybe it's Um, 5.2. It's over five, less than five and a half, if memory serves correctly. We could look this up. We have computers right in front of us. We do. Anyway, Mika's not not making six. And Hayes, I think, is getting over six at this point. He's getting six or 6.5, for sure. we, We agree that Mika, under contract long term, will definitely make less money than Kevin Hayes. So then I don't understand why you would ever want to trade a player who what at worst is as good as Kevin Hayes
0: better at worst yeah i would just say yeah that, that's the way that's a good way to put it mika's
1: just more dynamic in general i i i don't understand why anyone is quick to trade mika with the caveat that well we have kevin hayes it's fine hayes is going to cost more and mika's been this good for a long time it's just that he's kept Getting shortchanged by injuries. Now that he's healthy, we're seeing Mika Zibanejad, and we're like, Jesus fucking Christ, that's a top line center. He's he can be the best center on a playoff team, and I don't think that's. There's no reason that couldn't be the case.
0: I don't think that's really a hot take. I, I don't even want to argue with you. That's true.
1: Why Why would you want to trade a 25 year old top line center who's already under contract for long term for below market value? Like it, when you when you line up all the reasons for why all this stuff is why other teams would value him. Why aren't you fucking valuing him? How long do we want this rebuild to be? And this is going to get to my next point, which is if your answer is the Rangers won't be good until year three or four of the Mika Zibanejad contract, why are we even talking about signing Artemi Panarin? I don't There's know. No re- it, if you want to trade, the Chris Kreider conversation is a little bit more nuanced, right? Because it's a super team-friendly deal. He's 28 already, and he's only under contract for one more year. So... There is a scenario where if I squint my eyes, I can see why if the right package came along, you could trade Chris Kreider. It's got to be right,
0: though. It's really got to be an an offer. It's got to be perfect. You're you're a little drooling
1: a little bit. And Ryan, you and I have talked about this before. I am not of the opinion that you have to trade every expiring contract in order to recoup value. I think I've long said. I usually am,
0: honestly. Hands up. I I, know you are. We've
1: had this conversation with Keith Yandel. We've had this conversation with, we had it with McDonough last year. We had it with Rick Nash. We've had it with Kevin Hayes. I, I know where you are. You're always, if that guy's not coming back, I need to ship him out. I need to. And that, that's fine and good.
0: I, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with myself this time. I, I, I believe I'd rather have Chris Kreider until the end.
1: And I, I'm of the opinion that I, we know what Chris Kreider can get back in trade. It, it's nothing that's going to blow my socks off. If somehow the Rangers could get, say, Jacob Truba for Chris Kreider, then that's a different conversation. But that trade never happens, nope. especially in season. Why would the Winnipeg Jets trade Jacob Truba this year if they're trying uh, to win the Stanley they Cup? They wouldn't
0: because they're a fucking amazing team.
1: Right. Cursing so, today. Eh,
0: that's the same.
1: That's fine. So if, if you're, not, you're not getting Truba from the Jets because the Jets cannot make their own team better by trading Jacob Truba this year. Nope. So they're going to run the clock out until at least next offseason with Jacob Truba. That's fine. My thing with – I've long said this on this podcast. I don't believe the New York Rangers think they're going to be a bad team in 2019, 2020. I think the Rangers see themselves as a playoff team that year and a team that might not be Stanley Cup ready, but on the cusp. And if that's how the Rangers feel, the only way they're going to be that team is with Chris Kreider and something else. And that's when you get into the Artemi Panarin conversations. I get that you can say trading Kreider, recouping those assets, and then signing Panarin is still an upgrade over Kreider. But you know what's better than trading Kreider for those assets? Kreider and Panarin on the same line between Mika Zibanejad
0: and Krider. Krider's playing right now like he's got full stride. If he continues to play like this, uh, that's a scary team. Right, you'll, you'll at least make noise. I'm
1: not sure you'll win the cup. You'll make noise. You'll make noise, and that's a fucking terrifying top line. It, Zibanejad and Kreider are making Jesper Foss look like fucking Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> he looks so good. I just it it and my other thing is, if you are of the opinion that the Rangers should should do a full strip down trade, Kreider – Trade Zibanejad, trade Hayes, trade Zuccarello, trade everyone that you can get value for and reset this clock, and we'll do this again when Hank's contract expires. That's fine, but then don't tell me that the Rangers should also sign Artemi Panarin because that goes against everything you're proposing. The only reason you bring in Artemi Panarin is for him to be a foundational piece for the other stars that you have. But if you don't have Mika Zibanejad... Yeah, what are you doing? And also, if you're Artemi Panarin, well, I get that you want to play in New York. There are two other teams in the metropolitan area you can play for that have guys like Matt Barzal and Nico Heischer. Yeah. And by the way, if you're a millionaire, that's a 45-minute flight from Boston to New York City. You can come here whenever the fuck you want. It's not that hard.
0: I got to just point this out real quick, and I know we hate the Islanders, but it is pretty hilarious. They beat the Leafs for nothing. That was pretty funny.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it, Barzal, not a, not a great look. Parsall's a monster.
0: That guy's going to be, gonna be a, that guys a problem for Ranger fans for years to come.
1: Yeah, so, and if the Islanders are smart, they're signing him to a long-term extension as he, soon as they like can. tomorrow, please. Um, or not actually trade him to us. Thanks. But that that's the thing. It's if you're doing a full strip down rebuild, there is no point of signing Artemi Panarin because you go you and, and and if you're Artemi Panarin, there's no point for you to up with a team that's doing a full strip down rebuild. Yep. I get that, I get that money talks. But if you're the Rangers, why are you paying money to one player when you're gonna hope to be good three years into that contract? And if and if you're even just trying to trade Kreider, you're hoping to be good two years into that contract? Because if 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 your main move this trade deadline is trading Hayes and Kreider and then signing Panera in this offseason, what do you what do you have? You have nothing. You haven't you haven't made yourself better for next year. No, not at all. Yeah, I don't think either of those
0: players are going anywhere, the more I think about it. I think Matt Turquarell is definitely going. Uh, I, I, I think, I,
1: again, I, this, isn't, this is just what I think. It, sure, the Rick Carpinello article about how, I, I get that they couldn't talk extension until January 1st, but Hayes not knowing and Hayes' agent not knowing what the Rangers want to do, that's either playing it super close to the vest or there's a reason why Jeff Gordon isn't talking to them. It's, right, like,
0: uh, yeah, we're not sponsored this week, but I do want to say that article was a little bit like hmm, interesting. It, it makes
1: it makes you think that either the agent and Kevin Hayes are playing it close to the vest, and it must take some super coaching to get Kevin Hayes to play it that close to the vest. But for the agent to say, "I'm not sure what the New York Rangers are thinking," to me, that signals the Rangers have made a decision, because. You can't agree to an extension, but you could at least tell the agent, like, hey, January 1st, we'd love to talk extension. Yeah,
0: let's get in a room and start figuring this out.
1: Yeah. So for the agent to say we have no idea what the New York Rangers are doing, to me, that sounds like the agent knows exactly what the New York Rangers are doing. And it's not going to involve the New York Rangers. Seems that way. All right. It well, seems that way.
0: Let's go to our interview. We can continue this uh, – pick this up next week because I feel like this is uh, something we could do, what, like 45 more minutes on?
1: Uh, yeah. I just – it just It's crazy to me that someone would say you would want to trade Zabinajed and Kreider or even one of the two and then sign Panarin this offseason and expect your team to magically be significantly better. I'm with you. It, it doesn't make sense. I love Panarin. He's a superstar. I'm not saying Chris Kreider is as good as Artemi Panarin. No way. But Chris Kreider is maybe 70% of Artemi Panarin? That's fair. I think that's fair. Chris,
0: Chris is like a very, you know, he's not the shooter that Panarin is, but he's got the speed. He's obviously got, got the body. Yeah, so he's a different type of player for sure.
1: Yeah, I just – and to your point, we've been around the NHL long enough to know that blockbuster trades don't happen the same way in hockey like they do in other sports. No, they don't. If you're not going to get the assets to make it worth the trade, why are we even talking
0: about it? Yeah, that? and I don't think those assets – You find me a trade where it actually worked out. Look what Ottawa got for Eric Carlson. Not like it was – you know, not like Eric Carlson has been like himself this year, but he's been good. But – there's no there's no in-season blow-up holy shit trade, except for when the Rangers traded for Marty St. Louis and gave two first-round picks. Alright. Um, well, I guess we did the make-the-cup, whatever. Let's go to the interview. Uh, Ryan Stimson, he has a new book out. And transition. Hey, we're back with our first guest of the day. We have Ryan Stimson of the Athletic Buffalo. He has just put out a new book called Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. It came out December 18th, but you can pick it up right now on Amazon.com. It's got Five stars currently, and you can go give it also a rating yourself after you read it. Ryan, what's going on, man?
2: Not too much. Thanks for uh, taking the time, having me on today. I appreciate it. Um, Just want a quick add. You're only allowed to leave a review if it is five stars. If it's below that, you can't leave it. They
1: they
0: listen to this podcast. They know. We only allow, like, we only answer questions if people leave five stars on the iTunes. uh, There we go. It's like a cheating the system, but, like, help your pal out kind of deal.
2: Right. It's just like gaming course. You got to game the reviews. Exactly.
0: You get it. So uh, we brought you on talk firstly and foremost about the Buffalo Sabres and the surprise year they're having. Am I right in saying the surprise year?
2: Uh, I think they had a surprising three weeks. I think outside of that, I think they've kind of played largely to most expectations. They've been, uh, you know, largely, you know, kind of a bottom third to average team at five on five. Uh, they've had some, some pretty good special teams play. Um, they've. You know, outside of that streak, they've kind of been who we thought they've been. They've been fun. They've scored a bunch and they've been competitive. But, uh, you know, ultimately, they're they're kind of propped up by a couple percentages at both ends of the ice. You know, Carter Hutton's been uh, amazing. Linus almark has been very well, very good as well. And their top line just, you know, won't stop scoring. So that kind of papers over a lot of cracks within the team that, uh, you know, slowly but surely we're starting to see more of those.
1: Yeah, Ryan, we saw this earlier this year with the Rangers as well. When they were on their 9-1-1 and streak, everyone was very excited, and yet the analytics were telling a completely different story. And I don't, I don't know if a team has personified that more than when the Sabres were on their win streak because they're winning all these games, but by almost every measure, they were one of the three worst teams in the league while they were winning all these games.
2: Yeah, and I think of, it's funny that they were – one of the three worst teams. Cause I think they only won three in regulation. So, you know, a lot of those games are overtime or shootouts and, you know, once you largely get to overtime, it's, you know, it's basically a coin flip at that point. Um, so they just, uh, you know, kept their coin kept coming up, you know, heads or tails, whatever they were calling. And uh, it, w- it was a fun couple weeks, but uh, and obviously it's great to bank those points. Um, but now it's time to you know seriously like evaluate the team and the roster uh, you know going forward.
0: Well, the Sabers are distracted. the Sabers are four four and two in their last ten. Um, do you expect this team to make a playoff run, or are we just going to regress to the mean here of being Buffalo?
2: Well, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. You, you have to. I, I mean, they have those points banked. So you know, like as you know, organization. It's obviously important to you know, show the fans, you know, show the players that you're making progress, you know, you're turning the corner. Um, I think that they have some, you know, this has been a year and, you know, we're only almost halfway over with it, but it's been a year of kind of discovery about like how good is Rasmus Stalin going to be, right? He's been amazing. How good is Casey Middlestat? Like he's been all right. Um, But now, you know, you're you're seeing some faces that maybe some fans didn't expect to be as contributors. You know, Lawrence Pilot, who's come up from Rochester, has been phenomenal in, in, you know, about eight or nine games or so. Um, You know, they've had the whole Patrick Berglund debacle that's kind of, you know, got a sour taste in folks' mouth after the Ryan O'Reilly trade, which most folks weren't really happy with to begin with. Um, You know, so it's been kind of up and down. And you know some certain things. Certainly, some things will regress. Jeff Skinner is not going to continue shooting. You know, 17, 18, 19 percent, whatever he's been shooting. Are you sure? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if I knew, I'd you know probably be uh, you know making money off that somehow, some way. But uh, <laughs> um, he, he it, it's it's likely he won't. We'll just I'll, I'll, I'll uh, safeguard it that way. There you go. That's a nice um, phrasing
0: for the blog boys.
2: Yeah. There we go. There we go. Um but you know, I think at this point, you know, you want to see them start to hang around, be more in games from a lot of the metrics we we look at that we know are important, um, and rather than you know, kind of just be in love with this top line that they have and be in love with everything that Dalene does, that's amazing.
1: How have you been able to weigh the difference between the Skinner trade and the O'Reilly trade? Because when When the Sabres made the Skinner trade, my my knee-jerk reaction was, man, that's a good piece of business. They don't really give up a whole lot that I feel like they're going to miss. But then they turn around and trade Ryan O'Reilly. And at the same time, the package, I think, to put it lightly, was underwhelming. And it hasn't hasn't aged any better than that. is Is it really, like, on one hand, good news, on one hand, bad news? Because, boy, Skinner's been better than advertised, and yet you kind of wonder what this team would be like if they also had Ryan O'Reilly.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, the Sabres, you know, they basically kind of rearranged, you know, they did a lot of revolving door moves this summer. You know, he had a Vander Kane go out, Ryan O'Reilly go out. So you bring in Connor Sherry, you bring in Jeff Skinner and it's like, okay, you know, where was the move that was going to make you better? Right. I mean, so you're kind of just replacing a lot of lost production and, you You know, Sherry, I like that move. I mean, the the move for Skinner, it's when you have as many draft picks and as many young players as the Sabres do, it makes sense to trade away some pieces that aren't key pieces for sure thing. I mean, you make that move 10 times out of 10. Any team would. Um, It becomes, you know, different. And I'm actually kind of writing about this right now for The Athletic, looking at all the possible scenarios, whether to sign Jeff Skinner, what that looks like, comparable contracts, comparable players, trade him, you know, who is a likely trade partner, what should they target, and then what do you use that cap space for if you don't sign him, right, because you have to take into account all of those things. Um, But when you look at all of that together, you think the Sabre, okay, the big reason the Sabres have possibly jumped forward has been the emergence of Rasmus Dahlin. The forwards, they've kind of largely just replaced and kind of kept the status quo. They really haven't improved the depth of the team.
1: Is gonna... there a way? Is there a way for the Sabers to? I, I I hate I hate I really don't like when people say win a trade or lose a trade or any of that. Is there a way for the Sabers to come out ahead in a scenario where they don't sign Jeff Skinner long term? I just I I know you can recoup some of the assets you gave up to get him in a trade. I just don't understand if you're the Buffalo Sabers and you've been rebuilding for what feels like a century, why then. Trade for Jeff Skinner just to flip him again.
2: Well, I think it, it comes down to a, a couple things. It is one is you know what does he eventually sign for? I mean because you know if he goes to market, the Sabres obviously have the advantage because they can they can offer him that eighth year. And if he goes to market, obviously he's going to get seven years. So so what does he sign for? And you know if it's you know like I think Kane signed for about like nine. Nine and a quarter percent of the cap hit. I think it was around seven, I think it was seven million exactly. You know, he's had very similar, very comparable production Jeff Skinner for a large part of their career, but the numbers you see thrown around with with Skinner are like eight, eight and a half, nine million. And the cap, you know, that was that contract was just signed, what, eight, seven, eight months ago? So I mean canes that is. So are you really gonna give Jeff Skinner ten percent of your cap? You know, have an eight eight and a half, eight, eight, eight and a half million dollar player for the next eight years. That that's a lot for you know a player who's he's a good player. Um, you know, he's not he gives a lot he gives some back defensively, but he still is a net positive overall, which is what you want. But his main asset is goal scoring. He's and, he's a really
1: good second banana.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and we know what we know from you know lots of work people have done on aging curves that once you hit thirty, you know, goal scoring Typically falls off a cliff or it can get ugly in a hurry. So I'm not worried about his next four years. Like he'll sign at age 27. Like I'm not worried about what he looks like at 29, 30. Like those next four years, they're going to be really good years, especially if he's next to Eichel, right? Because I mean, Eichel's going to be there for forever. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's the coach, the GM, he's everything with that team, right? So, um, but let's say you know, age 31, which is, what we're, I mean, we're talking ways out now, but do you really want an eight, eight and a half million dollar asset who starts to depreciate and then starts to depend on playmakers at that point, right? Because he's not an exceptional play driver. He's very good, but you do wonder about players like this that get paid top level dollar, but don't necessarily have the play driving results at both ends of the ice to support that. So can they win? Uh, I, mean, it de- I mean, if they do flip him, it depends on what it is for, right? I mean, St. Louis is rumored to everybody's on the market. So, I mean, if they were somehow package him to St. Louis and for, you know, let's say Colton Paranko, And, you know, he becomes a mainstay in Buffalo. Like I would sign him for that right away because the Sabres, you know, have had no defenseman here forever. So uh, I think that's a much better fit and better need. For the team and personally, you know, if they flip him for a bunch of spare parts and pieces like they did Ryan O'Reilly, well, then that's just terrible. I don't think they're going to do that. So I think it be, it's a unique situation because normally with a goal scorer, you would say, OK, we're going to sign him for like eight years. And then the last four, we just kind of hope he's good. I mean, he could very well play each of those eight years on Jack Eichel's wing. So it's a little different because Eichel's still, what, five years remain from his prime Right, so I mean, he's he might extend Jeff Skinner's prime, so it, it's a very interesting uh, situation to analyze.
0: Would you think that Jeff Skinner would sign for anything less than eight years, or you don't believe that, that would happen?
2: Uh, I mean, probably not. I mean, I mean, because you want the the, the guarantee, right? Um, I mean, unless you're burgling and just go a wall, and then your contract's gone. But um, it, it, if it were up to me, I would offer probably significantly more dollars for like four years and then keep him here you know for basically the last of his prime years maybe like a four-year you know give him 10 million or 11 million dollars a year right because you can kind of take that hit because the sabers have a ton of money coming off the cap next year and the year after that um i mean you can make it up make it up next year just by not bringing back pommetville and you know they have scandela and bogosian and some other play Hunwick all coming off the year after that. So, I mean, there's money, there's room there. Um, they don't have any bad contracts other than Akposo and Risto and So I, th- I mean, it depends on what he wants. Like Alcaposo if he just still has wants, like
0: five years left, right. Am I wrong?
2: I think Risto's like four and Akposo might be five.
0: That's why I said Acaposo. I think he's got five. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So those are the only two that like you look at and be like, yeah, you know, if there's a way to get out from under those, you know, expansion draft to Seattle, you know, hopefully, but, uh, We'll we'll see. We're getting way ahead of ourselves now, but um, uh, so yeah, I think maybe a shorter term. Maybe he'd be tempted, you know, if if the money would work out, and that gives him, you know, if if he produces, and and there's no no reason to suspect he wouldn't, then he's coming up at age 31 and still has a chance for one more big payday. So I don't know. I'm not sure what he's thinking. I think the players tend to want the max deal in terms of the term for that assurances and that safety, but. You know, if you could offer, you know, an extra 20, 30 percent in money and the extra opportunity to cash in again in four year times, you know, maybe he'd consider it. I think
0: that works best for the, Buffalo, right? Like that would be your prime. Uh, that would be the best thing for the team.
2: I think so. I mean, keeping him for the next four years and, you know, because they because they're not going to need, you know, Darlene. He's got, you know, two more years after that is on his the, the ELC, um, you know, Middlestat. You know, he's got two more years on his ELC. Who knows what he turns into? They do have to pay Reinhardt in two more years uh, and they'll have to pay pilot if he continues to, you know, play well, but uh, in two years and, and who knows what the rest of the roster looks like, but uh, they don't have many long-term deals. And I just don't know if you want to add uh, a player who,
1: you know, could set up for a really bad back half of that deal. I want to, I want to get to middlestead but before I just want one more question on Skinner. Do you think ownership can sell to the savers fan base? A Skinner trade to push the buck a little further down this rebuild road. At what point do Sabres fans break and say, "At some point, I'd like to not be rebuilding"?
2: Well, I mean, it, I mean, every smart organization should always be buying and selling, right? Because you're always trying to maximize this year in season. I mean, because every team would love to have a deep playoff run every year, no matter what they sell to the in public and are talking about rebuilding. I mean, if you can rebuild and retool or whatever you want to call it and still go to the playoffs and have a fun run. I mean, cause once you get to the playoffs, I mean, it's, it's largely random compared to the regular season. Right. right. So, um, <clears throat> especially in a game like hockey,
0: unless you're the wild, so, then it's all the same. What'd you say? Unless you're the wild then it's the same every year.
2: Well, right. Yeah. The wild are just perennial first round. Yeah. I mean, th- th- I think there's when they get the schedule from the NHL, I think it only goes to the end of April. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, they're just they're doomed from the start. But, uh, but, <laughs> but um, I, I think they want to maximize what they can do this year, and if they can get to the playoffs, that'll be just huge. That alone would be huge for the fan base, and I think that buys them a lot of goodwill. But I mean, they have to do kind of keep in mind their timeline and where they're at, and be realistic and honest about how good they are, and not try to accelerate that through unnecessary moves like you don't want to be trading away picks for players on expiring contrast just to get you into the playoffs, right? You don't want to pull a New Jersey, what they did last year. And, you know, cause it's, it's pretty similar, right? I mean, they're riding the devil's road, Taylor hall all the way to the playoffs mm-hmm. and got bounced and gave up a couple picks and young prospects for, you know, month, two months of Grabner and Patrick Maroon and the Sabres are riding Skinner and, and Eichel and Reinhardt in that line. So you don't want to give up assets for, I don't even know who some of the popular free agents are right now, but uh, just for a couple months rentals, and then de- deplete your your reserves and your pipeline. But if you could flip Skinner for a younger player that you know will be around and has had good results already, I think it becomes easier for fans to say, you know what, they made this move. We had a lot of fun this season. We made the playoffs, and you know now we're not going to be. We don't. We can still try to sign him in the summer but now we have definitely have another young piece kind of locked in and we kind of retool and keep going.
1: I can see that. Uh, so Middlestad, he, he's, he's become an interesting character, I think, in in the NHL picture because people seem to be in one of two camps and there really doesn't seem to be a gray area. It's either Casey Middlestad is a perennial all-star in the future <laughs> and he's developing, or Casey Middlestad is one of the worst first-round draft picks the NHL has ever seen. And there's there's kind of a low-key Ranger storyline that has always followed around Middlestead. Obviously, things haven't gone according to plan for Elias Anderson. I still think it's very early for anyone to make any sort of declarative statement about what kind of player Elias Anderson is going to be. But for whatever reason, it always feels like Ranger fans go out of their way to measure Anderson against Middlestead. So I I I've just always been trying to find someone who'll ride the line on Middlestad and just give me a, a down the middle opinion of them. I'm not I'm not saying you're the guy to do it, but <laughs> I, I do think your opinion on Middlestad will be interesting, especially from a non ranger fan point of view. I think Middlestad is a
2: prime example of why people shouldn't pay that much attention to the world juniors when it comes to the player Jesus. evaluation. Okay. You know, so and, it shouldn't
0: be watching. Okay. Right. Got it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, we're in the, obviously we're in the midst of, you're not quite in the midst of it, but it's, you know, it it continues to amaze me just how, I mean, every year there is so much focus and attention put on this, this, this tournament. And I mean, you know, it, it's like whatever a prospect does at this tournament kind of stays with them. Right. And that, that's what people remember. And, you know, middle stat, you know, had a good world junior and then he had like six games with the Sabres where he, I think he had like eight points in six games or something towards the end of last year. And, And that's like all people remembered. Like they they kind of ignored and explained away his, you know, relatively average, um, you know, production, uh, you know, granted he was, you know, a freshman in college and, you know, still like a point per game player, I think. But, you know, I wrote an article in the summer looking at like the NHL equivalency and, you know, it wasn't, fantastic you know you had several players above him uh, on the list and you know i think he he's been you know better than expected but that again that might be simply because of the the backlash you know against some of the scouting that, that came out against him and he's still very young and, and you know we'll wait and see i mean you know players don't really hit their prime until like their mid 20s so um, and there's not a lot of depth around him they have most of their talent on the top line so i mean he's playing with you know, Connor Sherry, who's a decent scoring player, but he's not going to drive a line. And, you know, Akposo or, or Thompson. And, you know, these are a lot of players still trying to either, you know, salvage their careers in Akposo or trying to establish themselves, uh, like Thompson as well. And um, so I think he's been okay. But, man, just the the buzz and excitement that that came with him, I just kept looking for reasons why. And I just – I couldn't
1: really find anything. Um yeah, you know, it just it it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it it, it didn't help either that the very smart prospect guys, you know, a lot more about prospects than I'll ever know in my entire life were saying he was the steal of the draft ahead of guys like Elias Pedersen, and then we see yeah. everything Pedersen's doing this year, and it's just oh, uh, a yeah. it's a it's a tough look. Yeah, I mean that's and that
2: one that was still kind of like late in the summer too. He was still like ranked ahead of Pedersen, and like you know you like people ranked. uh you know, like prospects in the NHL, like under the age of, you know, 21 or 22 or whatever. And you still see mill set that high. And I'm just like, and I remember being out there, like watching the, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the watching the game card for people right now. I was like, you know, watching him in the in the prospect tournament in Buffalo and I'm just kept waiting like, like, okay, are you going to show us something like, like what's going on here? And it's just like, he was getting outplayed by like Rasmus Asplund and Victor Olofsson and, and Tate and Tate Thompson. And, it's like, who oh boy, and and it went, as soon as they made that Ryan O'Reilly trade, you just knew that, okay, oh my God, they're penciling set in as their second-line center. And, like, just, man, has that just – if they still had Ryan O'Reilly, this team would actually be pretty darn good. But, uh, you know, it's – people getting caught up in World Juniors. So whatever you see over the next, you know, 10 days, you know, just uh, say, oh, that was fun, but don't get attached to it, so –
1: all okay. right, So don't get excited that Vitaly Kraftsov already has a goal in assist. system. Right. John Miller looks really again.
0: good in the yep. United States. Okay. Sounds good. We won't do that. Um, yeah, Greg, I don't even know who those players are. So great. Wonderful. You shouldn't keep your hands <laughs> off. Uh, Greg, are we done with Buffalo questions? Do we want to go to the book?
1: Um, well, I just, my last Buffalo question, I, so Ryan, you have no reason to know this, but I work in local news and part of the station I work for works with a station in Buffalo and, if anything happens sports-wise in Buffalo, Bills, Sabres, doesn't matter. If someone farts, it's breaking news in Buffalo. <laughs> How exactly does that fan base quantify everything that's happening with the Sabres this year? Because from where I sit, it's insanity. And I, I'm just looking at it as, I I don't have any gripes. I don't have an ax to grind against Buffalo. I got I got no bone to pick with them whatsoever. It just, it looks like, an average at best team. But if, if you were to interact with anyone from Buffalo, they'd say it's, this is not just a playoff contender, but someone that's going to surprise in the springtime.
2: Well, I mean, you, you got to take in the context of, you know, Buffalo sports for the last, I don't know how many years, right? I hey, hey, the Bills made
0: the playoffs last year.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, the Bills made the playoffs, but I mean, <laughs> like if you run that season through a hundred simulations, they probably make it in one. So, um, it's like Doctor Strange and the Infinity War. You know, there's one possible way, and I think the Bills had it last last year. But uh, you know, the Bills. I mean, who knows what's going on with them? And, and you know, but I, I don't think many people have much trust in in, in the Bills front office and in that team building a, an actual contender. But uh, you know, the Sabers. You know, they they acquired. You know, they they tanked for McDavid and, and they missed a the lottery ball, which you know happens. You know, the the Leafs could very easily have wound up with, uh you know, who went, who went third in that draft when Matthews Lion a,
0: he's on the blue jackets and I was just watching him play. Uh,
2: yeah. Pierre-Luc Dubois. Right. Yep. So, I mean, they could have wind up with him or Poo RV um, instead of Matthews or Lion. Right. And then what are we saying about the Leafs? Right. So it's, you know, you, you can do things that way, but you know, if the lottery ball doesn't go your way that year, you know, you're going to be judged for that. And, you know, Eichel is a good player. He scores a lot. You know, he doesn't have great play driving results, but um, there's obviously talent there. And you know, they got Reinhardt, who's a, who's a very good player. They've got Dahlin now. Um, so I think that there's much more to be excited about for the Sabers going forward. Uh, but I think it's perfectly fine for you know Buffalo fans to be excited and and get crazy excited this year because it's the first time in forever that it's been fun, you know, to be a hockey fan in Buffalo. So, and I'm, you know, I'm going back to, I mean, hell, when I was in college and, and the, the Breer and Drury days and, you know, that those teams and, and how fun those were, um, you know, really hasn't felt like that since, since, since those days around here. So.
0: All right. I mean, I, I, I've drank in Buffalo before. i a couple of my friends with the college in Geneseo uh, watching games, even regular season games up there were, was absolutely insane. Those guys, people yep. go crazy. Uh, let's talk about your book. All right. Tape to space, redefining modern hockey tactics available on Amazon. Now I'm not an analytics guy. Greg is more of an analytics guy than I am, but Greg, you would say you're not like also an analytics guy, correct?
1: I would say I'm a novice at best. I'm still trying to get my head around everything.
0: What should be our biggest takeaway from tape to space?
2: Hmm. That's a good question. Thank you. I should have a good answer for this, but I don't. Um, I guess, well, I, I guess just biggest takeaway is that, you, you know, as we continue to learn more about player evaluation, about, you, you know, various events in hockey and like the, tying that, like, you know, the, like the big, this kind of really took off with, you know, like zone entries, right. Mm-hmm. And work done on zone entries. And it's like, Hey, you get more shots if you enter with possession versus when you, Dump it in. It's like, oh, well, that makes sense. And so, but it, it kind of opened a lot of eyes and doors to what else can we measure that impacts game strategy? And, you know, through myself and many other people in, in the field, just different projects, different things people have written about, from, you know, when to pull the goalie on power plays and, you know, number of forwards versus defenders and, you know, optimal areas to shoot from versus to pass from on the ice. Like, if you kind of look at all that information, you know, and what it's telling you, then there are definitely ways to, you know, from a coaching standpoint, kind of optimize how your team plays, right? You want to make these areas uh, or make these certain actions um, during various passes of play uh, a focus. And you want to reinforce, you know, you look at basketball, an example of like the three-point shot revolution that we see, right? And, and like everyone, or most teams kind of follow the Rockets and, you know, taking something to their extreme logical conclusion you know, and so this book looks at all of the advancements we've name, made made as a community over the last number of years, and basically sets about a way to kind of diagram uh, plays that incorporate this research into the tactical approach. So, it, so what's the biggest takeaway? Just I think that process, right? Not necessarily yeah. the conclusions I found in there. Is that um, just the process of what's the data telling us? okay, so we want to enter the zone with possession more. We'll continue that example. What are ways we can maximize how we break out and how we play in transition that will lead to more of those situations? It. Right? So it's kind of working backward from that.
1: So, Ryan, this is a question I've asked. We've had uh, the Twins from Evolving Wild on. We've had Sean Tierney on. We've had Nick Mercadante on. We've had uh, Drew Way on. We've had a lot of guys – that are very clearly smarter than us when it Mm -hmm. comes to analytics on this podcast, because we're just two idiots who happen to have microphones. And for some reason, smart people like to talk to us. It was very
0: easy. (laughs) I bought the uh, Uh, the mic on Amazon. Yeah. My,
1: my question to you, did, while you were writing this book, did you feel like you had to be a little extra sensitive to the very vocal non-analytic crowd that follows hockey? Because, Ryan and I are big baseball guys, and it, it, it sure feels like the baseball analytic revolution went a, a whole lot smoother than the analytic embrace the hockey community is going through. Have you, have you felt like at any point you've had to walk on eggshells a little bit or explain things a certain way to a audience that isn't as embraceive about advanced analytics as other sporting communities might be?
2: Uh, n- n- maybe like when I kind of first started out doing this, but not anymore. I mean, y- you know, like some people and I'm not saying, I'm not saying you guys do this, but you know, I've, there's obviously people out there that frame it as this analytics versus old school, or you can't measure this, or you can't measure that. I mean, first of all, you know, we we can transplant hearts from people to another, right? We put people on the moon. Like we can analyze a fucking game on ice. I'm sorry. I don't know if I could say that. You anybody. absolutely fucking it. say it. Yeah, you're <laughs> you <know>. good, dude. <laughs> so, so like the idea, I mean, you know, like sequencing the hu- human genome, right? We can't analyze a game on ice where they shoot a rubber biscuit at a net. Like, come come on. Like, so, so people that do that, you know, I think that just kind of helps you accelerates the process of, is this someone that really knows what they're talking about? And is this someone that is worth the time to explain things to? And most coaches, most players, most people that come up, you know, know hockey from that side of things, like the the hockey lifer I've played, I've coached, whatever, and I'm kind of new to analytics, you know, they've always you know, been looking at information and processing information and looking to gain an edge somehow, right? And it's just it's just become more mainstream right now, more popular. So most people, when you actually sit and talk with them, you know, I, most people are very open, very very amenable to to learning about different methods. And you know, and part of the part of the book is, you know, I took a year, kind of really off from hockey, Twitter, if you will, and writing. And you know, I coached for a year and tried out a lot of these ideas. And you know, in the book, I write about what you know what worked you know, how other coaches kind of helped me, you know, build drills that would kind of maximize, you know, ideas I had for the game. And, you know, and there's plenty of disagreement with some of the coaches on, you know, how to proceed and and what the reasons are for certain things. And, you know, I think that most, all of my experience for the most part was, was very productive because when you have people that are obviously smart and know their craft, whether it's analytics or whether it's, you know, coaching or skill development, you know, you can have really productive conversations and learn a lot uh, because you both care about you know winning and, and, or developing kids and and doing all that. So most people, I would say, you know, they want to learn just as much as, as you want to learn or I want to learn from their expertise. And the people that kind of, you know, throw up the you can't measure heart, you know, in a locker room or, you know, whatever,
1: like those right. people are just idiots and
0: you don't need to ever listen to them. What? So. Okay. All right. Well, I got to stop saying
1: that to people. Um. I, just, I just I just want to know what that year off from hockey Twitter was like. That that sounds like fucking heaven.
2: Yeah, it was. It was. I was a lot happier a year ago,
1: so, yeah. <laughs> well, you're still living in Buffalo. I don't know how much happier you could have been.
2: Technically, I live in, in Brockport, which is between Rochester and Buffalo. Listen, so. uh, Ryan, everybody
0: knows Brockport, okay? Relax. Of course, yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: we all know it. Um, it's like, you
2: know, the Mecca of Western New York, so.
0: Yeah, the, the Mecca. That's what everyone says. I'm going to the Mecca. Oh, Brockport? Yeah. Um, what inspired you to write this book? Actually, out of curiosity, um, because it's not an easy task, I can imagine, to write Two hundred ninety-six pages of of well, I mean, that analysis. exaggerates
2: There's like there's like a hundred and twenty diagrams, and there would take up half a page on their Ryan, own. Ryan, so. stop!
0: I'm trying to pump you up.
2: <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. I'm just a very humble guy. I'm a big picture um,
0: guy, anyway, so it makes it better for us.
2: Exactly. Right. You know, if I can get away with, you know, pictures, then obviously more people are getting inclined to flip through it. So, um, I I guess it really, like, I've always, you know, the reason I got into analytics is because I had questions and I want data wasn't there to, to analyze things and answer questions. And so this book kind of just represents, you know, Hey, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work as a community on things and, and you know, I've tried out a lot of this coaching and doing a lot of research, you know, on other coaches, presentations and talking to coaches, um, and this is kind of a a new way to think about how we can play the game right It's kind of like a you know kind of inserting this mindset and this process into the discourse around hockey and how we analyze it and how we tactically prepare for teams and and how we play which which really is not a whole lot of like there's um you know, there's a lot of books, uh, you know, out there that cover systems that, you know, here's where the players go in a one, two, two, here's where they go in a two, one, two. But, like, there's not a lot that gets into kind of like the philosophy of how you want to play and, and how you want to manipulate space to, 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 you know, find the open man to beat the defense. And so, you know, part of this book is very ana- analytically friendly and part of it is very kind of sports tactical philosophy friendly. And, um, you know, I think it's a good kind of meeting of the minds, or, or meeting of the different worlds, if you will. And uh, so, what inspired me is kind of just kind of reset the conversation on how we should play hockey.
1: Over under one and a half of these type of books, do you think Elaine Vino has read in his life? <laughs>
2: under,
1: under. I don't know. I mean, it's only been out for like a week, so he probably hasn't read this one. These but, kind um, of
0: books, we're you know. I,
1: I'm I'm going I'm going under. Yeah. I've watched him coach a hockey team for.
0: Well, I mean, Years. you know,
1: he's he's had pretty good results his career. Well, know, yeah, I mean, he's had Hall of Fame goalies that he can lean on throughout his career. That is correct.
2: Well, I mean, you know, if, uh, if, if 2011, you know, against the Bruins, if that goes differently, I mean, how much do you think that changes the perception of him?
1: For us? Uh, th- if he still comes to New York and I still have to witness the things I witnessed after 2015, I don't know if it changes yeah. the perception for me. All right, maybe not for you,
2: but I, I do wonder if uh, – the 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 greater public, you know, if they end up beating the bruins um you know in the final in 2011, which they were a better team that year.
0: So um so trots won the final. How do you do you feel differently about him now? He wasn't exactly the most popular coach in Washington.
2: No, no, certainly not. Well, I mean, trots, you know, he, he, he did fairly well with his time uh you know in Nashville and in having a competitive team there with limited resources for so long. Right, but right. uh I think trots and one of his big things was, um, you know, scratching younger players, you know. And I think you see this a lot with older coaches. He's still doing that, by the way. Right, yeah. And that's, that's kind of why I bring it up is, you know, I think last year it was what, uh, Jacob Verana with the, the Capitals, who was you know obviously super talented. And, y- y- you know, at some point, you know, if you're going to scratch them or, or give them limited minutes with, uh, you know, grinders, let's say, and they can't maximize their skill you know, how much of that is just the ego for like, what is a player actually learning from that? So.
1: Got it. The NHL, the NHL sure loves to chew up coaches though. I think correct. Correct. You guys can disagree with me. I feel like the only coaches that are aging well per se, I feel like Paul Maurice, people are warming up to him. Peter Laviolette seems to have a very high Q rating. Uh, Joel Quenville, despite him being fired, I feel like everyone still loves Joel Quenville outside of those three. Is there anyone we can say is universally loved? John, I feel like every, John, I feel like you can John Cooper. No, I yeah, feel like I, I think Cooper's got to be probably almost number one. Yeah, I think Cooper's I mean, up there. I I, I, mean, feel, I like I feel like I've heard people criticize Cooper before.
2: Well, I mean, if you're a coach, you, I mean, you're going to get you're, fired no matter what, what you, you do. Criticize. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, you know, it, it, it would be nice. Like the, what I like about I mean, the Rangers turning to to Quinn, for example. You know, I I, I hope you know. More teams kind of look outside the the coaching circle, if you will, of you know recycled coaches,
1: right? Oh yeah, Not, yeah. I I would have been so frustrated if the rain I, I'm frustrated by a couple of things David Quinn is doing. Don't get me wrong. I would have been yeah. ten thousand times more frustrated if they just hired a retread coach.
0: If Lindy Ruff right. was
1: just the coach, I would have just you know. Or even or even Bill Peters, like go outside the box. At least make a mistake by being aggressive. I'm fine with right. that. Right, exactly,
2: because you know, you because you're not gonna, you're not gonna see changes in the way the games played if if the same coaches just kind of go, you know, hop across the country to different open jobs. And you know, part of that is obviously with you know GMs, right? I mean, I, I can't remember who wrote the article, but um, you know, the NHL their GMs are predominantly either former players or, you know, related to former players or, or staff more than, like, any of the other major sports. By a lot, so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: I can only imagine. I think baseball is probably number two. I'm just going to guess. I don't know why. I just feel – uh,
1: I, I, I disagree with that. Yeah. I don't know of any former player that's a GM yeah. in baseball right now.
0: Oh, GM, you're right. Never mind. I was thinking more yeah. of, like, a coaching positions and everything else.
1: Well, yeah, all the, all the coaches are either relievers or former catchers. Former but catchers general managers – I feel like every general manager has a Harvard law degree. now.
0: Yeah. They're all white nerds for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, I
2: mean, so if there's going to be like, you know, changes behind the bench in in philosophy, uh, you know, of how they want teams to play and just different, you know, uh, open to new ideas. You know, it's probably going to start in the front office first. And you, you look at, you know, most teams, you know, have someone or, or staff that's, you know, analytically inclined, um, and so you do wonder if, you know, five years down the road, do any of them, you know, become GMs, right? Uh, you know, obviously you look at Dubas in Toronto and, you know, how soon, you know, this is kind of why, like, I, I hate to do this because you hate rooting for Toronto. But you do kind of, like, if they can win and, like, this season or next season and, and they can succeed in the short term, uh, does that, you know, have a positive impact on the rest of the league and then become a, a smarter league and help the game become better. You know, so so you you know I never want to root for Toronto because I don't you know they're ter- they're terrible, but uh um I mean they're not a terrible team, I just mean they're fans. But uh That was obvious. Uh, I uh <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah, But uh but you know, does that have a better impact, you know, on the Rangers, right? Do they then their front office, you know, do they then you know, enhance their analytics staff? Do they bring in some smarter minds? And then people like to point, you know, it's a copycat league, everyone likes to say. So if you can, you know, it's always, you know, well, they Chicago won with speed and skills, so we got to get that. LA won with big heavy players, so we got to get that. Well, if Toronto can win with brains, then –
0: And like two, ridiculously, to maybe three, and a future Hall of Famer, All-Stars. Right, sure. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. obviously, yeah, that's a big
2: part of it too. But say that's a
0: big part of it.
2: can can owners look at that and say, "Hey, why don't you know? There's no salary cap for my staff, my front office staff, my hockey research and development. So why don't I just throw a million bucks into a budget here?" And does that have a cascading effect throughout the league?
0: The Rangers should be definitely doing that if they're not already.
2: Well, any team that can print money, like Toronto Rangers, Chicago. I mean, no
0: they
1: absolutely should. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. All right, anything else we want to get to, Greg?
1: uh i i can't i think ryan has done a terrific job of covering just about everything
0: ryan thank you so much for coming on the show today uh a happy new year to you and uh before we go why don't you plug all your stuff
2: all righty so so obviously you mentioned the book Mm -hmm. uh it's at amazon uh taped to space redefining modern hockey tactics um we're past the Christmas season now, so it actually ships. I think within a day or two when you order it. it um, I'm still waiting on mine to be shipped, though. Which uh, we, are,
0: you know, we are recording on uh, December 27th. It says if I order right now, I can get it by Monday.
2: So there you go. There you go. So you'll have it soon. Uh, you know, it's it's a very good book. If I don't, if I do say Whoa, so myself, hot take. Other people, <laughs> what'd you say? Hot take. Yeah, hot take. Yeah. <laughs> um, other people agree with me, and you know, uh, no one's ever been wrong when they agree with me. So, so there you go. Um, Good, great. yeah, I would just, you know, go get that, go read it, tell me what you think about it. If you hate it and tell me, I probably won't, you know, respond cause I'll probably mute you, but, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you're, I always not, you're not kidding. People. You're an honest man. I love you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, that's, that's kind of been the big thing. I'll be pushing that for a while. So I appreciate the opportunity, you know, come on and, and talk about it. I, I really, you know, do think it'll be, uh, you know, kind of a first step towards just changing, you know the discourse around, you know how we play the game, and uh, you know hoping for uh, some positive things to happen from it. And other than that, you know if you're interested in in Sabres analysis, uh, <laughs> Rangers fans, but uh, I write about that over the Athletic. And yeah, that's kind that's kind of it for me right now. I got
0: you. You can follow Ryan Stimpson at rk underscore stimp.
2: There you go. On Twitter.
0: Thanks, man, so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon.
2: All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.
0: Bye. Hey, we're back. We're only here to plug stuff. I know you're so excited. Um If you're in the New York City area, January 12th, Greg and I will be doing a meetup and drink up for Islanders versus Rangers, also the NFL playoffs, week two? Week two? The NFL playoffs?
1: Am I right? Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. that sounds right. Sure.
0: Tickets are on sale right now. You can go to our Twitter, at BlueShirtsBreak. It's the pinned tweet. You can buy them. It is an open bar. It's $35. We'll be hanging out. Probably be getting a little bit wasted. So we'll see. Um, and then on top of that, I don't know, uh, we might do a live show? Shrug.
1: Not recorded. Uh, if I will, yeah, I will say this. If 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 we do a live breakdown analysis of the game with our friends of Gotham Sports, yeah, it's not going to be recorded and posted on our feed. So the only way you're going to be able to hear it is by coming out. For sure.
0: Uh, and sorry for the people that, because we, we we literally aren't setting up stuff this time. I'm not lying.
1: <laughs> no, this, this is a, yeah, this is 100%. We're going there to watch the game, yep. and we are offering up our services to Offside Tavern if they want us to do something after the game, but... If not... It is it is not going to be recorded. I'm not going to be sober, so I don't really want... I don't it. want it recorded. We'll probably say some dumb shit.
0: All right, uh, anything else? I mean, we say
1: dumb shit anyway.
0: Yeah, that's true. We've said a lot of stuff in this podcast. Uh you can go right now to patreon.com to support us, throw us a dollar for the new year. Be like, oh, wow, Bullshit Breakaway. I we'll listen to you every single week. Here's a dollar. Thanks.
1: We still have 17 sweaters, uh, holiday sweaters left. We do. We might have
0: less after I offer them up to some of our friends who said they were interested.
1: I have at least two people that say they're interested from around here. So it's probably 15. If you want one and you don't want to be a Patreon subscriber, slide into our DMs. We'll talk. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure something out. Or you could just be a great fan.
0: Be a Patreon subscriber.
1: <laughs> just be a Patreon subscriber. This
0: crying. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you had a great year. Hope you're listening to this Super Hungover and saying, why are you talking to me like this? Uh, hope you enjoyed our show. We'll be back next week with more Chris Kreider talk and uh, Mika Zavinojad because I have a lot more to say about that for sure. Love you guys. Follow us on Twitter, Bush Break, and me and Ryan Bye.